Welcome to the Hillside Community Church Podcast. Wherever you're at in your faith, we hope this episode encourages you. If you enjoy the listen, let your friends know, and we'll catch you next time. All right. Well, the elephant in the room is an English idiom, um, and its definition is an obvious truth that's being ignored. These are uh, obviously metaphorical elements or uh, elephants, issues, problems uh, that literally can take up residence in any area of our lives. Something or things that we're unwilling to face or address. It may be a really big thing, But somehow we've learned to manage our lives around it, tune out the noise of its meddling snout, uh, dodge its whipping tail and big feet. We've grown accustomed to its stench. I don't know uh, how much experience you have had with uh, elephants. I'm gonna say element all the way through this talk. Elephants, but they are really nasty creatures. Um, Gail and I in India got to ride one, and uh, and they're considering using us in the next Indiana Jones film. Uh, but anyway, they're disgusting creatures, actually. Uh, there's that snout, he blew snot on me. Gail was behind me like this, more than I can even, it was, <laughs> it was nasty. Uh, so they're disgusting, but they can also be, they can cause a lot of damage. Uh, they eat a lot, number one, causing problems wherever they're at. They destroy land and crops and uproot the ground, literally leave, saw pictures, this, this desolate ground because they literally uproot everything. Um, and then they demolish anything in their path. So villages, they, they can just, anything in their path can be destroyed. And then, of course, uh, they can be deadly. I just happened at the end of the year, uh, came across this right here, Christmas Eve or New Year's Eve, this, this article in Newsweek. Elephant disembowels man, tramples him to death in vicious attack. Uh, just, I read the article. I have a photo of the whole scene. If you, you don't, no, nah, I didn't think you wanted to see that. Um, over 100 people die in India every year, 200 in Kenya, and then other places from elephants. Uh, We've all been through quite a lot, and our attention has been really on the outside world and, uh, and the issues going on, and perhaps it's distracted us from some of our own issues. So I thought it might be good to spend some time here at the beginning of the year looking at ourselves, looking into the rooms of our lives, our private and personal spaces, relational spaces, and deal with some things that maybe we've been avoiding uh, or just haven't paid attention to in a while. And to do that, I want to 
look at 1 Samuel and uh, look at a man by the name of Eli. Eli is an Old Testament character that I've gotten acquainted with uh, for a long time. He was a priest in Israel. And this is at a time in Israel's history that's pretty critical. We just come out of the Judges, where all these tribes now have their land that Joshua has given them, but they all decide that they want to do things their own way, and it's created havoc in the world of Israel. So you come out of Judges, and everybody's been doing their own thing, and finally God gets them to, to focus and gives them a priest and gives them a king in 1 Samuel. So now they're going to get organized under certain leadership. And Eli plays the critical role of priest in Israel. I mean, this is literally the center of their world, their spiritual lives, their religious lives. And so he's an important person. And for a long time, Eli is good man, does a good job. He has a good heart, and he's accomplished great things in Israel. But it's a really short stint, it seems like. If you look closer at his life, beneath the surface, there were some issues that he refused to face, publicly and privately. And it was affecting his spiritual life, his family life, uh, his ministry, personal, uh, his personal life, and as we'll see, the, the effects of it um, are devastating. So the elephant in this particular case occurs or appears in the tabernacle. And it centers around his two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, who are also priests. And chapter 2 and verse 12 sort of begins, it's pretty quick, early in the book you get this line. This is one of the hardest things to hear in the world as a parent. The sons of Eli were worthless men. And they didn't know the Lord. And so uh, these guys were stealing the best meat Israel people would sacrifice to God. The best meat was supposed to, to go to God, and they would steal it, take it home, and, and eat it. And then, of course, they were sleeping with the women who were part of the temple service. This they're all doing blatantly. People can see it, just sort of blatant unholiness. Um, and now it can't be hidden anymore. And so Eli, who is not only the parents of these two guys, but he's the priest who oversees the priests. And he's approached about it, and he ignores three warnings that come in the early chapters through chapter 4, 1 through 4, 1 Samuel. The people of Israel, who all now know what's going on, they're, they're, they're talking about it and saying something to them. Then, then God sends an unnamed prophet. We don't, even, we don't even know who it is to him. So a stranger. And then Samuel, the anointed man of God in the beginning of this chapter, uh, in the beginning of Samuel, key figure, in fact, for a great personal devotion, read 1 Samuel 1 to 4 and see the contrast between Eli and Samuel. Samuel eventually says to him this God tells Samuel to go to him for this final warning. 
and tell him that I'm about to punish his house forever because of that iniquity, because his sons were blaspheming God, and he didn't restrain them. This is going on right under his nose in the tabernacle. Everybody can see it. It's the elephant in the tabernacle. Now, the text gives us two characteristics about Eli that explain his unwillingness to deal with the reality. And it's interesting because these physical qualities picture his spiritual condition. In chapter 3, verses 1 to 3, the first physical trait that we're showed that kind of appears throughout the text in a couple of different times is that he's old and he has bad eyesight. And I want you to read this. I want you to hear it. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. Remember, we're just coming out of Judges. Nobody was listening to God. Nobody was seeing God. And he says, and there was no frequent vision. Nobody was seeing him. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. And the lamp of God had not yet gone out. And Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the Ark of the Covenant... In other words, God was there to be seen the light and the lamp, something happened to Eli, and he just stopped looking and he stopped seeing. And so you can see sort of the, uh, the connection. This physical blindness became a picture of his spiritual blindness. In fact, verse 4, this is a great verse right here. Here's another summary of it. Now, Eli was 98 years old. Every time it mentions his age, it usually says something about his eyesight. Uh, His eyes were set so that he could not see. So you can see he's stuck. He's stuck in some spiritual condition, keeping him from seeing what's, what's going on right under his nose. So you can hear there's this deeper blindness. And you get the feeling real quickly, like right here, he doesn't want to see. Does not want to deal with this. And so, obviously, you end up in some, you got to be in some kind of denial. Uh, And he's in denial literally right up to the end. This is the end of the story for him almost, you'll see. Uh, Samuel says to him, everything that God told him didn't hide anything. And this is Eli's response. It is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. Just go ahead and let him do what he's going to do to me. Uh, it's just like his resi- just resignation all the way to the end. It's like he had been, it's like there's a little bit of a relief. Because I've been going through the motions for so long, dealing with the internal struggle and tension, the depth of denial. And one writer said his mind was made up by inevitable circumstances. He just surrendered to the circumstances and resigned it. So that's the first physical trait. He's not willing to see. He just stopped looking. And then second, um, in chapter 4, let's see if we can get here. 
verse 17 and 18. So what happens is, this is the way God sort of lays this out for Eli. Israel's in battle with the Philistines right now. And the Philistines are a little scared because they don't think they're going to win this battle, but it turns out because Eli's sin, Israel's vulnerable. And the Philistines win. And this is what is said to Eli when the battle's over. Somebody brought the news to him, said, Israel has fled before the Philistines. There's also been a great defeat among the people. And your two sons also, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead. The ark of God has been captured. His presence is gone. And then he writes this. Let's see where I'm at. And as soon as he mentioned that the ark of, of God was gone, Eli fell over backward from his seat by the side of the gate, and his neck was broken, and he died, for the man was, here's the first quality, he was old, and then the second one is he was heavy. He had judged Israel for 40 years. So these are his two physical qualities. Now it turns out there may have been a motive for him not willing to see the elephant in the tabernacle. Uh, because chapter 2 and verse 29, the writer will explain what he means by that. Because here's what the prophet says to Eli. Why then do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded for my dwelling and honor your sons above me? Look, fattening yourselves on the choicest parts of every offering of my people. Turns out Eli was eating some of that meat. Fattening himself. So there's, again, this little metaphor and spiritual connection uh, to to his size. He was on the take, benefiting from the elephant. He figured out some way to work around that elephant like we all do in our lives. He had gotten comfortable. He didn't want to point it out because it would mean that he wouldn't benefit from what his sons were doing. So he adapted to it. He found some unhealthy benefit for the elephant to stick around, but in the end it crushed him. He just... He was crushed under the weight of it all. Because that's what happens with these elephants. They crush you. Your years of willful blindness and denials, selfish comfort and adapting become too much to manage. Denial is sort of fundamentally delusional. When you're reading 1 Samuel 1 to 4, you're like, Eli, don't you get it? And we can all be like this. I mean, it's, I'm careful. I'm going to give Eli a lot of grace because I know there are times I'm just like him. Just refuse to see something. But it's, it's, it's a fundamental kind of delusion, a self-deception that's often compounded by the fact that we deny we're in denial. George Orwell called this double thinking. Listen to this. He said this. This is back in 84. The ability consciously to induce unconsciousness. 
and then become unconscious of the fact of hypnosis you had just performed. <laughs> Isn't that great? Uh, you're like, wait a minute, I just decided to not think about that and perform some act of hypnosis on myself so I don't have to deal with it. And so, obviously, some kind of hypnotic effect we do on ourselves is required in order to cope with the sort of the, the psychological exhaustion and dissonance that occurs in our minds when we're just, when we know there's an issue and we just refuse to deal with it. And so let me say, there's all kinds of elephants. Uh, they can appear in any and all kinds of places. And we'll spend the next few weeks addressing them. In fact, uh, Cody's going to give you a number that you can text me, because I'd like to know maybe an elephant you're dealing with. You don't have to give me your name. Uh, we're not going to call you and ask you to give a testimony about the elephant in your life. Uh, but you can, I'd love for you to text in and go, this is an elephant that I see a lot, maybe somewhere, or in my own life. You can text that in for me. We're going to deal with a few of them over the next, over the coming weeks. Uh, but before we look at specific ones, I wanted to give you a couple of things that need to be in our minds before we start to address a few of them. Um, two things, two simple things. Number one, uh, if you're going to deal with an elephant in your life, if you're Eli and you say, I, I got I to gotta deal with this, I just, I just got to deal with this, uh, the first thing you do is something, uh, you, you, you foreground the elephant. You foreground the elephant. In other words, you bring it out uh, into the open. There's a, uh, an author who has written a book I read uh, many years ago, actually, The Elephant in the Room, Silence and Denial in Everyday Life. He writes, bring it out of the background and turn it into a figure of explicit attention. He says, elephants draw their power from the fact that they lurk in the shadows. Um, now, let me say a couple of things that we need to talk about, see if they can come out in the series. You got you to gotta face this thing, and usually we're in denial because we don't want to do that. But James Baldwin, who's an American novelist, writes this, not everything that is faced can be changed. This is important. Not everything that's faced can be changed. But nothing can be changed until it's faced. So you're going to face some things, and we all have them in our lives that are just probably not ever going to go away. They're just some elephants we're going to deal with. We're going to have to, we're going to, have to figure out how to deal with them. I'll see if I can wrap my arms around giving you from the truth of the matter. We just live in, and we don't have ideal circumstances in our lives. And, and sometimes we just got to deal with hard things. Um, we can't control everything in our lives. And so just some problems just don't ever go away. If they were maybe with, if they were within your power, they could. But it's not always the case. Um, you're like Eli and you have a kid just won't do what he's supposed to do. And that's just an elephant in the room every time you get together, but you can't do any more about it. Some of, some of the elephants in our lives are just not going to go away because because other people won't deal with it. So um, that's a fact. 
But there are elephants that can be dealt with that we have just not dealt with. And you can face an elephant, deal with an elephant, and at least we got it out in the open. Now I can't control what anybody else does with it, but this is how I'm going to deal with that elephant. And you can communicate that. And I want to say, most elephants, most elephants, the hardest ones, involve other people in our lives. You know, for Eli, it was his kids, which puts parents in a very, very difficult situation. We're going to talk about that down the road here in this series. Especially if you have adult kids who just can't get their act together in some category that you, that's just wreaking havoc on their lives or the lives of others. This is a very, very painful and difficult thing. Um, and so usually it involves some kind of a conversation. I'm going to have to talk to somebody. To foreground the elephant, it's going to demand a conversation. And that's just, this is what we don't want because we don't want fireworks. We don't want complications. We don't want to be judged. We don't it's just such a pain to have these conversations. But I just want to give you two thoughts here. Because some of you have some things you could address if you would just do it. And you can do it very kindly. It could be a wife. It could be a friend. It could be a husband. It could be your kids. It could be God. Maybe there's a conversation with God you've been avoiding. But I think to people, if you want to just wrap your head around a conversation maybe that you already know you need to have, you might say something like this. You know, I just love you too much, and I think there's too much we're missing out on because we're not being honest. Or you might say something like, uh, I know that if we were honest and looked at this together, we could deal with it. But you got to come up with something to say to start the thing. And, of course, uh, you don't go in trying to kill the elephant. That's devastating. So usually it requires foregrounding an elephant a hard conversation that you've got to figure out how to have. Okay. Uh, it could be with someone else, but it could also be with yourself. Now, this is, remember, this is just general stuff. We'll get to specific elephants later. You might have to have a conversation with yourself. This is the one I want to start with mainly today. Um, perhaps you have an elephant that's somehow taken up residence in your personal life. He's in the shadows of your own private personal life. And I just want to say, you, this elephant has to deal, be dealt with and usually has to be dealt with first. Because I know for a fact, for me, and if you're, I guess it's probably true of all of us as humans, when I'm personally and internally off, when my private life isn't matching my public life, and I don't feel whole. So you feel the feeling of lacking integrity. How it feels 
to not be who you know you should be. And usually, very often, that elephant in your life is creating elephants in other people's lives. And it can create all other kinds of problems. Now, this might be something serious. It has gotten serious for you, whatever that elephant is. Or it might just be something that's gone a little too far. I'm sure there was a point in Eli's life where he could have said, hey, 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 I think I've, I've crossed the line here. I can't sleep. Something's not sitting comfortably about you in your own life. These are like my most devastating moments. And I have experienced just an inner madness Maybe you're feeling it right now. You just say, Dad, gummit, I, I keep putting that off. This issue in my life. One writer I read years ago called this fragmenting. You can just feel yourself coming apart on the inside. And it, it begins to affect your your outer life. Because you know how when you're not happy with yourself, that usually affects how you relate to other people. You're mad at yourself for something. Like, have you ever done something like this? This happens to me. Uh, I'll be disappointed in myself about something. And I'd rather be mad at you about that than be mad at me about that. And so I'm, a, I'm just a butt to be around. Right? You're that kind of person. When you're upset at yourself, other people wonder what's wrong with you because it spills out. And so whenever this frag, this disintegration is sort of happening on the inside of your life, if you're not dealing with that thing, it will spill out and cause other problems. When I was, uh, right before I turned 30, I guess I had been in, I guess I've been in ministry for three or four years. And I was really challenged about the inside of my life. I was, um, I was a young guy that never really had been, never really been trained spiritually on how to monitor the inside of my life. I was challenged by a couple of books that I had read at that age, 28, 29, and I realized really quick that there were some things that I was doing that I had justified that were not godly, were not spiritual, were not right, were not, that they didn't characterize a man of integrity. And I remember going through a process of weeding those out, having conversations with people, hey, I'm sorry about that. Hey, I need to pay that back. Hey, I need to get that straight and cleared up. And I just was going through this process of my inner world, learning how to have alarms go off when something inside wasn't right. And uh, right about this time, Gil and I are moving into our very first home, foreclosed home in Bedford. 
And uh, it was a scary time. But anyway, I'm going through this internal process. And the home that we lived in, the backyard, it's like God gave me this visual at this time. It's never left me. It's always become the visual whenever I talk about this. Um, the fence had rotted. You know, the wooden fence had rotted on the bottom. And so whoever lived there before me, before us, had put these railroad ties along the bottom of these heavy old railroad ties that were a pain in the neck to get out of there. But they, he, he, he used them to out, you know, sort of block the bottom of the fences wherever it was, rather than fix the fence, put railroad ties under there. So that was a real pain. And I remember the day that I decided I'm going to have to tackle these railroad ties, get the shovel, get the tools, and figure out how to, you know, get them out of here. And I went out there to the very first one right by the gate. And, I, and I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that it's going to take everything I have to even just slide this thing a little bit on one end. And I put, I, I grabbed a hold of this thing, and it just crumbled in my hands. It looked so strong, heavy, and sturdy. But when I pulled that, I pulled a whole section of the top off. And when I did, things came crawling out of there. You know, it, sick, creepy things. They haven't even been discovered yet. They haven't even been discovered yet. <laughs> I discovered them. And it was hollow, and there were, there were, you could see there were boreholes everywhere, and, and nasty creatures scared me to death. Plus, I almost pulled my back out thinking I was going to be lifting something really heavy. And it was nothing. And I remember at that moment, maybe not right at that moment, but as I was dealing with my internal life, I was saying to God, I don't want a life that, like that. That on the outline, outside looks strong, sturdy. But inside it's creepy. And hollow. And frail. And the people closest to me get a window into that. I just didn't want that to happen anymore. So I'm challenging you. Is there a private elephant in your life that's creating this kind of havoc? On the outside, you look together. But you know, something has to be dealt with. So the first thing you do is you foreground the elephant. We'll talk about this as we look at some of the elephants coming up. The second thing you have to do, and this is really important, this may almost, this is really the motivation for almost not foregrounding an element, is you have to embrace the mess of foregrounding an elephant. Uh, we have this ability, we all have it, to deal with some dysfunction in our lives, learn to deal with it, and become comfortable dealing with it in a way that it would almost feel more uncomfortable to get rid of the elephant than to just live with the elephant. We do this in our lives. We have all somehow figured out how to manage life with dysfunction 
We've gotten comfortable with it. We can do it with our eyes closed. We'd have to really open our eyes and adjust our worlds if we got rid of the elephant because a mess is going to occur. This is extremely unhealthy, but all of us have this sort of psychosis, this neurotic behavior that we use to adapt to things that are unhealthy, that could be fixed if we would fix them, but we just can't imagine fixing it. So we just go on with it broken. Because we think that living without the elephant is going to be harder. And here's the thing about the elephant. You know, it got in there easy enough. Like it didn't create havoc when it first showed up in your life. You're like, how did this big thing get in my life? But then you, but getting him out requires like destruction. You're going to have to, you're going to have to demolish something to get this big thing out of your life. You're going to have to rebuild, (laughs) remodel. And then you have to think to yourself, how am I going to fill the empty space? Somehow I've just gotten comfortable with him here, and if he leaves, I'm going to, it's a pacifier of some sort. I don't know who I would be if this elephant weren't in this room. So we, we become attached to some of our elephants. And to get him out is going to require tears. It might require a goodbye. Some boundary has to be drawn that you haven't drawn. Some apology has to be made. Some awkwardness has to be lived with. Possibly a confession has to be made. A change has to be made. Some change has got to be made. I might have to learn something new. These are all things we hate. And the reason that elephant doesn't get foregrounded is because of those things right there. So this is what I want to tell you, and this is what we're going to, this is what we're going to believe over the next few weeks to start this year out. It's so very important. I felt myself saying, God, teach me this powerfully. That God's not afraid of the mess it's going to make. You're afraid of it. But God's not afraid of the mess it's going to make if you tackle that elephant, if you deal with that thing, if you bring it to the foreground. He's a master of handling messes. And we're masters at making them. I make a mess every day without trying. Without trying. I said that, I did that, I didn't do that. It's a mess. Something has to be dealt with regularly. And God is saying, and this is, this is what I want to help you see. Um, very often, and we've all experienced this at times in our lives, God will make something better out of that mess after it's happened. We all can look back on our lives and go, that was a mess, but God made something. Our marriage was a mess, but God has made something great out of it because we decided to deal with it. Think 
think about God. You think about the mess Adam and Eve made. Cosmic, universal mess. And you're, if you're God, you go, look at them. They're running, hiding, shameful, sowing figs to hide it. And if you're God, you're like, this is an elephant in the garden. Do I want to deal with this elephant? <laughs> Do I need this? Comes walking through that garden and calls them out, tells them, look, let me. And Genesis 3 describes the mess the world is in because of this problem right here. But then he says, take those figs off. I'm going to give you skins. I'm going to redeem it. I'm going to, I'm going to do what has not been done. I'm going to kill an animal and redeem it. And then I'll walk with you outside this garden. So committed was God to walking through that mess with us that he eventually sent his own son to come into the world to die on a cross for our sins. What does John 1 say? Parallel to Genesis 1. He became flesh and dwelt among us. He became flesh and dwelt among us. He became one of us. You talk about entering into a mess. The human race is a mess. Right in it. March right in it and dealt with all of it. He'll march right into your situation. Your private one, your public one, and your personal one. So we're going to look at a few elephants in the coming weeks. And today I just want to ask you this. Is there one, just one, that pops into your head immediately? An obvious one private one. It's clearly not sitting well with you. And you need to deal with it today. I'm not even talking today about what some other person's elephant is or the elephant you have to deal with with someone else. I'm just talking about the one in your life right now. You could be spiritually compartmentalizing. It's like you're spiritual in so many categories, but you don't let God near that one. Or you could be the person, be the elephant in the church at the moment. That is religious, like spiritual things, but has never personally surrendered his life to God. Surrendered her life completely to God. Trusted him as Savior. That's a huge element. Maybe you need to deal with today. I've been around this a long time, but I've never surrendered my life to God. Don't start out this year without that. We're going to just sing. Um, these are going to play behind me. I'm just as you listen to this, just a verse and a chorus. Ask God right now. In fact, bow your heads. I wonder, just by a show of hands, real quick, how many of you could say, "Yeah, I got. I, I, I know there's something." 
I, I can't put off anymore. In my own life, not the one in your family's life, yours. Look at that, all over the place, elephants everywhere. We're about to be stampeded. There's elephants everywhere. Right now, ask God, say, God, help me figure out what to do next about this thing in my life. Listen to these words. Can you stand and sing just the new song we learned today, just a verse and a chorus as a prayer? Here is where I lay it down. You are all I'm chasing now. This is my surrender. This is my surrender. Here is where I lay it down. You are all I'm chasing now. This is my surrender. And I will make room for you to do whatever you want to, to do whatever you want to. And I will make room for you to do whatever Okay, so that's, that's the prayer. If you just haven't been willing to see it, and maybe you've got some unhealthy benefits that come that you're going to have to give up. Say, what do I need to surrender today? It could be the benefits that come from having that elephant in your life. And you need to commit today to foregrounding that elephant, which means the elephant you're dealing with in your private life might need a conversation with somebody. It needs to be spoken. It may not need to be. You just need to deal with it and get it done. Either way. And surrender what you're not going to get anymore because you gave it up. Father, that's what we surrender today. Help every one of us know exactly what it is we need to do, whether it needs to be spoken or whether it needs to be just dealt with. Only you know that, Father. But don't let us deny that either. We love you. Look forward to what you're going to do and ask you right now at the beginning of this year, walk through the messes of dealing with life because you know there's messes and you redeem them. In Jesus' name, amen. As you leave today, if you need prayer in the corners, there'll be somebody there to talk to. Maybe you need to talk to someone about whatever that is. Um, otherwise, make sure you text in an elephant. Maybe you have one and we can, we, we can talk about it. So, uh, great seeing you guys. Be careful out there. All right, for those of you who helicoptered in, uh, I think the winds are safe. I think the winds are safe for those of you who helicoptered. All right, have a great week.